Let's take our Bibles and turn together to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 was where the men had their Bible study this morning. And we're not going to the same passage uh, or section of Scripture, but we are going to go here to Ephesians chapter number 5. Now, our, um, our series on forgiveness, uh, getting rid of the baggage, ended last week. And next week, we'll start a new series, as you see in the bulletin, the Power Packed Postcards, looking at the four smallest books of the New Testament and looking at those letters and seeing the, the practical application that we have for today uh, from those letters that were written. Very practical truths there. And so if you want to study ahead for next Sunday, Philemon uh, is a small book in the latter part of the New Testament. We'll cover the first seven verses of Philemon. And so that will be next week. But this morning, we come to Ephesians chapter 5. In just a moment, you've got your notes in your bulletin. Or if you want to go digitally to parkwaybaptist.org and click on the recent message, you'll have your notes digitally there. You can add to them, email them to you at the end, and then you'll have those for your records in the future. Now, our moms have taught us many things in life, and they have sacrificed for us. They have laughed with us. Sometimes they have laughed at us, we understand that. They have cried with us and cried because of us. They have inspired us, they have come beside us to dream with us. And there's so much about mom that we can love and appreciate. In my short years of preaching and pastoring, which have not been many, I have made an effort on Mother's Day to preach a message that is not directed solely at mothers, but rather to collectively go as the church, as the body of Christ, to a text to be directed collectively together of what the application is for all of us. But in a passage like this today, we can find certainly some parallels when we think about a mom who is a trailblazer setting the footprints ahead for others to follow. Mom, what a responsibility it is. I've got a short video I want to show here in the introduction that gives us a little insight of following in those footsteps. Let's go back to that little place where we used to go in the summer days. The lodge by the water still my favorite place And I could come every year and it wouldn't change What a responsibility to lead in the right footsteps. You know, we, not only moms, but parents, grandparents. 
When we think of a leader, a teacher, a mentor, a friend, the responsibility that we have is great to lead in the right direction so that people can follow our lead as well as imitate our example. But how in the world do we do that? And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and see how Paul addresses the church at Ephesus with some very important truths. In verse number 1, Ephesians chapter 5, Be ye therefore followers of God, that's the word for imitators of God, as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication... In all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all these things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This morning we dig into this text and we see... This important truth, walk in these steps. Walk in these steps. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we come to this part of our day together, this is a very sacred and important part where we collectively come and dig into your word. And so my prayer would be that you will give us clarity of thought as well as a freedom of distractions so that we can look and and to see what it is in our own life that needs to be changed. So we ask for the Spirit to have liberty and freedom to convict us, that we would be sensitive and humbled to the place where we know we need change. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know this relationship, this personal relationship in Jesus Christ, may may today be that day where they meet Jesus. So Father, we give this time over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the book of Ephesians is one of those amazing letters that Paul wrote as he wrote it to the, the Christians in Ephesus. In this book, we will find many, many important truths that we as the church and as Christians within our Christian living, we apply and, and find so much that is life-changing and applicable. And so in Ephesians, he starts right away in chapter number two, he comes about telling us about the old condition which we were dead from Christ and to this new condition which brought us alive to Christ. In chapter number three, he speaks very adamantly about the importance and almost as an imperative, the command for unity within the church body, for us as individuals to be unified together collectively as the body of Christ. And then he speaks about the spiritual gifts knowing that the spiritual gifts are given to us not so that we can promote ourselves or find ourselves on a pedestal of 
position and prestige, but rather that our gifts would be used to honor and glorify God and to be a blessing to those around us, to our fellow uh, church members. And then he ends chapter number four or chapter number three with bringing us uh, into the revelation of the mystery uh, that he speaks of. And in this revelation, he describes the reality of both the Jew and the Gentile, both being in Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter number five, he is going to start right away with the word, therefore, referencing back to what he has already written. And so it's important for us to see that this imitating of Jesus Christ has come with those things that he has already written in chapter number four. In the last part of chapter number four, we study often about this new creation in Jesus, how the old way is put off, and then there's this renewing of the spirit of our mind, a putting on of the new creation, and that way of actions and functionalities that we do so drastically different from the old man. And so in verses 17 through 32, we would find areas of life that we act and function as a follower of Christ. He comes to the latter part with a familiar verse that is in verse number 32. He says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so then he continues by saying, So with that in mind, be imitators of God. Be a follower of God. Let what he is, the very true nature of who God is, let that be known among you. Let that be said of you. And so he carries on into this very thought. And as children of God, it should be our second nature of one that is practical application that we are consistently following and imitating our Heavenly Father. That's important, that we are consistently following and imitating our Heavenly Father. It's not just a one-time spark plug. It's not just a one-time firework. It is not just a, I'll go at it hard and excitedly and then I'll fizzle out and I'll become back to my old way and old man. Now we understand that the process of Christian living certainly is a growth pattern day by day. But if we're having a tendency to go back to the old man so often and we find our comfort level back in the old ways, it may be a heart search that says we may not even genuinely be a part of God's family, may not be a true children, a child of God. And now we find this is a, this consistent following or imitating of our Heavenly Father. That is why we teach accountability. That is why we emphasize sanctification this process and this growth of being more like Jesus Christ. That is why we make an emphasis that says that we must strive to not be worldly and putting those things away and that we strive for holiness and being what we say distinctly Christian. Now we're not harping on the rules and regulations that we have avoided or done the best to avoid the traditions of men for ritualistic sake. But we have to understand that in that balance, we must study and apply what God wants us to be. And so it's not, it's not just a complete elimination of what we would call rules and regulations. But we find this process of holiness that says, God, there are areas of boundaries within life that you set out for us so that we can be more like your son, Jesus. And so let's look how we do this. Because the question might be, well... We know that we're to be imitators of God, followers of God, supposed to look like Him. So how do we do that? And Paul addresses this in verse number two. He says, walk in love. And in these first seven verses, Paul is going to give the positive truths about godly love. 
And then he's going to clearly state the identification of the negative elements of a counterfeit love which Satan is behind. The false prophets promote that counterfeit love and the Pharisees have even dabbled in the counterfeit love. And so it's imperative that we study to look at the positive truths about godly love as apart from Satan's counterfeit love. And Paul immediately starts urging the believer to be this imitator of the Holy Father. He says in verse 1, Therefore, and this key word is therefore because of what you have read in chapter number 4, because of that, then be set out in your mind to be an imitator and follower of God as dear children. Now this word imitator comes from the term in which we get the word mimic. And we all know what mimic means. We know what imitation means. We know what a copycat is. Now this is, as a Christ follower, we are imitating or mimicking the characteristics of God. As a mimic, you follow the characteristics or the elements of another person. And so as an imitator of God, we're looking at the characteristics of God and we're imitating those. And so that's why when we look at this life of reproduction of godliness, it is to be seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And too often we have in our circles where we put an emphasis on imitating the next great leader or the next great church or the next great book or the next great idea. And so we want to dabble in that and we want to say, what are the three main points that they're doing that I can do or I can imitate or I can implement into my life or ministry? And though we learn great things from mentors and leaders and other churches and people who are doing their best to pursue godliness, we also must find ourselves with the uh, imitations of the character of God and being consistent in that manner. So we look at this life of reproduction of godliness and we say, that's why Jesus would say, be ye holy for I am holy. It is the process of being shaped and changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, don't be so hard on yourself in this matter because too often Christians are so regulated and become so enamored with the right step at the right moment that they're heavy laden with guilt when it doesn't happen that way and so then they throw the baby out with the bathwater, and then they completely give up and so if they've had a bad day then they turn it into a bad week and a bad week turns into a bad two weeks and a bad month and then all of a sudden you blink and you've had a bad year and you've wondered how in the world have I wandered so far away why have I allowed these these habits to become so comfortable and second nature in my life and that happens at every age group from every generation And so we must ask ourselves, what steps have I taken this past week to be more like Jesus? Can you ask yourself that? What steps have I taken this past week in order to be more like Jesus? And when you chew on that for a moment, you think, well, I have so many other things in life that I have to regulate, I have to schedule, and I have to plan. And I'm just trying to figure out how on Monday afternoon I get the kids to soccer practice, piano recital, awards program, and throw some Big Macs down our throat before we have to run to the next thing. And you're like, the last thing I need is yet another thing to schedule and regulate. Yet that which is important in our life gets our time and our attention. And that is purposeful and practical living. If you want to go through a fitness routine, you will lay it out practically and purposely. 
so that you know how you're going to get to your end goal. If you get to the grocery store, typically you have already laid out your game plan of your grocery list. If you haven't, it's usually detrimental to your budget because you end up with a cart full of little, little Debbie cakes and Bluebell ice cream. Okay, can anybody give me an amen or am I alone on this one? All right, I've got one. Thank you for your honesty. So what, what happens is, is so many things in our life we approach practically and purposely and we allow our spiritual life to kind of just fall into the, cr the, the cracks as it will. We let the water flow as it will, and if it fills in, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'll get to it next week. So when we ask ourselves, what practical steps have I taken this past week to be more like Jesus Christ? Now let's go a step further and ask ourselves this. What purposeful ways will I strive to be this next week more like Jesus Christ? And so we can sit here to, together and we can think in our mind, how will I respond when my husband says such and such? How will I respond when my wife does this? What will I do when my kids interact in this way? How will I respond when my schedule begins to crumble at its very foundation and my day doesn't go as planned? How about when I get the phone call or the meeting or the news that was the last thing I expected? How will I respond like Jesus? And so again, this is a very practical and purpose way, purposeful way of living. It's striving to be more like Jesus, knowing that I have to know in my heart how it's going to become second nature to respond in that way. Spoke with somebody this morning that this week, this coming week, they'll have some opportunities of interaction in their workplace. And the comment was made, I want to set an example that when they see me and interact with me, they see a godly woman that they're interacting with. You know what that individual is doing at this very moment on Sunday morning? Is projecting that a meeting coming up later this week that she is going to live purposely and practically to be more like Jesus. She's not going to let it just happen or fall into place, hoping that her nature and natural reaction will be godly. So ask yourself, how purposely this week am I going to be more like Jesus? Now Paul is simply stating the fact that, that children are much like their parents. They resemble their parents. And we know that truth. We know that fact. Sometimes it's a, a proud moment. At other times it's an embarrassing moment. We're here at the end of the school year, and when their report card comes home, uh, we hope that their A's and B's or, or whatever, you know, we, we, we hope to see on there, and we hope that that's going to reflect that comes from one of our sides of the family. And so when Bailey brings home good report cards, I usually tell Natalie, you know, good job. That's coming from your brains and your diligence to study and work hard because we really don't want to talk about my history of Civ or my science and biology days because those didn't turn out so well. So we, we're really excited when things are turning out well with our children, but embarrassed on the other hand. For instance, I see Bailey and Brooklyn when they interact with each other or statements that they say or uh, things that they'll, how they handle situations, I clearly can see Natalie or myself in them and what they do. So many people have said to me that I remind them of my father, the things that I say or the, the, the way I tease or I laugh and joke or how I handle situations. And, and so we know that a parent is going to, to rub down and show an example of an imitation of their child. And so he says in this way, in verse number two, to imitate him by walking in love. 
Now, we know that John wrote that God is love, and at Parkway, we do what we do all based on the simple purpose statement of love God, love people. Our pursuit of love God, love people comes from Jesus' interaction with the publican who tried to pin him to the wall and tempt him with something that he would fall to pieces on, but Jesus arose to the occasion and simply said, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And so we strive at Parkway to love God through worship and through discipleship. That means we all corporately worship together, but our lifestyle should be one of adoration and worship back to God on a daily basis, as well as discipleship. You know what discipleship means is that I am a a purposeful learner and student of God's word. And so it doesn't matter if I've been saved for 30, 40, or 50 years, I'm still a diligent student of God's word. I want to interpret it correctly. I don't want to grab text out of context so that it fits my agenda or my need or the things that I want to say at that moment. But I am a learner and a discerner of the truth and I apply it to my life. That's loving God through our life as a worshiper and as a disciple. And then loving people. How do we love people? It's not just a simple handshake or a gift put into their hand, but it is going above and beyond sacrificing out of ourself. And so it means that we love people through ministry. That's what happens within the four walls of the church. It means that we use our spiritual gifts to be a blessing and to advance the ministry of God. But then also we love people through community. And loving people through community means that we go beyond the walls and that we take the love of Jesus beyond the walls of the church body or the church plant. We take the love of Jesus to our sphere of influence, to the people that we interact with because your community looks different from my community and my community looks different from your community. And so we love people in the community, the guy that cuts us off on the interstate, the waitress that messed up our order at the restaurant, the people who have nothing good to say about us but desperately abuse us, despitefully abuse us. Those are the people we are called to love. And if we're going to truly walk as an imitator of God, we're going to love as God loves. And remember, at the very core of God's nature is love because God is love. Now, the obstacles that we face in our human ways of living, the obstacles we face against love is hatred and indifference. And hatred is, is, it stems from hurt. It comes from pain and injustice. It comes from a disagreement and argument. It comes from bitterness, whether it's in the past or the present, misconceptions or even wrong assumptions. Remember, assumptions get us in a lot of trouble, don't they? And the wrong assumptions can lead us to a spirit of hatred. As I said, we just finished our forgiveness series, Getting Rid of the Baggage. And when we studied that series, we looked that even when they don't say, I'm sorry, we have the ability with God's strength to issue forgiveness. And God is very clear on this in the writings of 1 John, that if we have hatred in our heart against a brother and against others, we don't have the love of God in us. And when I look at people and say, you don't deserve my forgiveness, or I have to work through this, or maybe one day I will be healed, but when we say that we can't forgive them, what we're saying to them is that they are undeserving of my forgiveness and undeserving of God's grace. And the last I checked is that God's amazing grace is issued to all mankind, even this dirty, rotten sinner right here. And so how dare we ever allow hatred to take away from the very nature of God that causes us to walk in love but also there's indifference 
indifference might be the biggest obstacle for most of us in this room today. Because for some, we sit here in peace and we say, to the best of my knowledge, I don't have hatred toward anybody. I don't have any angst against anyone. But this indifference causes Christians to neglect serving and sacrificing. You see, it's easy to talk about loving people and then to neglect the action of love. Christians' love has to be, a Christian's love has to be personal and active. If Christ had been indifferent toward the sinner, he would have never made his way to the cross. Indifference breeds inaction. Indifference keeps us sitting in the pew and locked into our comfort zone. Indifference keeps us from experiencing God moments that reshape our thinking and fuel our passion to move forward with God. And for some of us, indifference has really bred and grown into our heart. And that has become our biggest obstacle. We talk about loving people, but man, some of us just don't like interacting with anybody. You avoid people at your workplace, even if God brings them right in front of you to share a smile with them and just a word of encouragement. For some of you, you avoid conversations in public. Your neighbor whose dog is barking at 3 a.m., you only have negative things to say about you or about them. And the truth is, is for some of us, yeah, we probably need two cups of coffee before we need to even say anything about the issue. But these are just the realities of our life that we live. And if we're going to truly walk in love as God is love, we have to be rid of hatred and indifference. So follow him in that way. In verse number eight, and by the way, in verses 3 through 7, he's going to use those, those verses to speak on the negativity of the counterfeit love and the results of that. And then verse number 8, For we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so here, number 2, we need to walk as representatives of Christ. I love the contrast that Paul uses here. He uses light and darkness. And the two cannot gel together. It's, it's not the white crayon and the black crayon mixing together to make a beautiful gray. Because when you have light, you don't have darkness. And when you have darkness, you don't have light. And so these two are simply uh, way apart from one another. And he says, you were sometimes darkness. That word sometimes is in the Greek means you were formerly or when you were darkness. So it doesn't mean that we were sometimes in our unsaved, unregenerate nature. We were sometimes darkness. It says when you were formerly of darkness, when you were darkness... This is what you were like. But now, because of God, something has so drastically changed. So walk as children of light. Paul brings in one of the most common and most striking New Testament illustrations here. And he speaks of the absoluteness of difference between the old heathen life and this new life in Jesus Christ. Now, he also is referencing here that God is light. Uh, Yet another something that John would write about in 1 John 1 that God is light. It's interesting to see here the parallels with Paul and John in their writing. When John was writing to the churches of Asia Minor, he would write in that first epistle, 1 John, he would write that God is love, God is light. And there was important truth to that because light expresses majesty and glory. Light states the perfect holiness by which God has. And so this spiritual darkness that we were formerly identified as is the work of Satan. It's the domain of Satan. It is the consequences that brings God's penalty. 
And it leads to a final destiny of eternal darkness. Matthew chapter 8 says they shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is why we go as the light of the world, as the church, as believers, as Christians, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And those who reject God's grace are content in their darkness. That's why as Christians, we can't dabble a little bit with light and then hope to maybe live a few days back into our darkness. Because the two just don't mix. You were formerly in darkness, but now as a true child of light, walk as that children of light. In verses 9-11, through 11, Paul will continue by telling us what the very practical ways that we will be a representative of Christ. And he gives these three that are goodness and righteousness and truth. And these are the representations of of Christ. They are three supreme characteristics of the character of God and ultimately fruit and evidence that will come out in us because we're an imitator of God. That word goodness there is, we got to be careful with the word goodness because all through the New Testament there are a number of Greek words that are translated into the English text as good and goodness. And so it would be easy for us to define what we think that Paul is meaning here with goodness because we may think, well, I'm a pretty good person or I, I, I give out goodness or I do good to others. But in this reference in the New Testament, in the Greek here, it has a meaning. The meaning here that he uses is referring to moral excellence of being good in both nature and effectiveness. It's really what we could wrap uh, what we call our testimony in how we live away from the shelter and safety of the church body. How do we live apart from Sunday morning? Do we have moral excellence, which is certainly viewed by all who see us? So at your workplace, you're known as a peacemaker. At your workplace, you're known as the encourager. In your neighborhood, you're known as the guy who's a giver, and one who is a kind-hearted individual. That's this moral excellence. And then he continues by saying the word righteous. This is, first of all, in our relationship with God, but also it has to do with how we live. First John chapter 2 says, Know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. So we know that those who are in Christ live righteously. It speaks of that which Jesus has done for us so that we can stand before God the Father as being righteous. But it also describes the way we live, which is biblical, distinctly Christian, and righteous. Then he continues with the word truth. This has to do with honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, integrity. It's the total opposite of darkness, which is hypocritical, deceptive, and false ways of the old life. Now, I love what children bring with truth. Kids can sometimes be honest to a fault. Sometimes we're nervous about the kids spending time with the grandparents because we're not sure exactly what they're going to say. Or we're nervous about sending them off to school, wondering what their teachers have heard or what their classmates are saying. And uh, Bailey and Brooklyn had funny statements the other night. I had gone to the hospital to visit and Natalie was putting the girls to bed and before bedtime was clean up the bedroom and she walked in and there was glitter everywhere. Now, if I'm honest, I did see that earlier in the day, but I just didn't want to have to deal with the glitter. 
And, uh, but the time came where it said, girls, we've got to clean up the glitter before bed. Well, come on now, let's get this glitter cleaned up. And as Natalie left the room, she overheard Brooklyn say, oh, I don't understand why we have to clean this up. Who wouldn't want glitter all over their room? <laughs> Spoken as a true six-year-old girl. Well, to make matters worse, Bailey spoke up as she was smelling the tub of glue she says, oh, I remember the good old days in kindergarten when I used to eat this stuff. <laughs> in those moments, they reflect their mother so clearly. <laughs> they are true imitators of their mom. And then we notice when he says in verse number 10 that we are to prove, this word proving, it's, it's, a, it's trying to learn. It is this sanctification process and progress when he says that we are to prove or learn or test what is acceptable, pleasing unto the Lord. Christian, are you living your day-to-day life to see what you are doing is even approval or accepting to God? Does that matter to you? The decisions in life, this past Wednesday night, we studied the blind intersections and David is getting ready to take the throne. And King Saul is finally dead, and David does not rejoice. He mourns over the fact. But before he takes his rightful place on the throne of the kingdom, he he encounters God and says, God, what is next for me? What do you want me to do? And God clearly laid out the plan. And the truth is, is some of you are at blind intersections in life, and it's not a matter of the how-to books or the internet search or the, the entrusting of a friend. It is searching the scriptures and finding some counselors and overall looking for the voice of God to speak to you through the Holy Spirit's work. So that's encountering this proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, that my decisions would be right in His eyes. So what efforts are you making to learn what is acceptable to God in your life? And then the last thing he says, that in verse number 15, as he tackles this walking as children of light, because we're walking in love and walking as a representation of Jesus Christ, we walk cautiously. He says to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word circumspect comes from two Latin words, which means looking around. And the Greek word carries the idea of precision and accuracy. Precision and accuracy are very important. It says, see that you walk carefully without, with, or with exactness. Now, we know that GPS helps us to get from point A to point B these days, but sometimes they do not have the pointed exactness. And we also know that there are people, I saw a video the other day of a lady And she was walking and she was looking at her phone so intently. And do you know after about 15 steps, she walked right into a fountain and fell face first right in the mouth. Anybody ever seen that video? It's a really good one. I laugh every time. If we could show it, I would. And we could all get a good laugh, poor lady. But the reality is, is that she was distracted. And uh, the distractions are very real today, aren't they? Uh, Apart from your cell phone, apart from technology, But distractions are so real today. You know, sometimes we need to evaluate how distracted we are from even investing in raising our kids. Our kids are being raised by the public school or the Christian school or the youth group or the children's program or a friend or a classmate. And so often we are just so busy and so consumed with everything else that's going on in our life that these distractions have caused us to eliminate the areas of responsibility 
Some of your marriages are in shambles because you don't invest in your marriage. You don't read about marriage, you don't study about marriage, you don't look at God's word about marriage, you don't meet counselors about marriage, and you just think it's all going to work out in the end. Or you think if it doesn't work this time around, maybe the second guy, third guy, or fourth girl will make it work and I'll find my happiness in them. Dr. Bud Calvert's book, In Love, paints the picture very clear that our happiness in marriage does not come from the individual that we're married to, but by pursuing the things of God. And when I fulfill my role and responsibility as husband and wife, that's where I will find my contentment because of God's work and blessing. So what are the areas in life that you are so distracted by that are causing you not to walk cautiously with accuracy and exactness? Now again, we come back to the fact that we're not perfect and the authenticity of who we are is just raw and real. But that doesn't give us an excuse to not work hard and to be dedicated and disciplined. Michael Hyatt's planner It focuses on routine, goal setting, and accomplishing what is important. I have it sitting on my desk. I fill it out for every week. It gives my daily three goals of what I'm going to accomplish. It gives a task list. Before the day, it gives my routine. It gives my opening routine for the day. It gives my closing routine for the day. How will I end my day? This is being very purposeful. It is being exact and accurate. Does that mean it always works out that way? No, but I want to make sure that I'm headed in the right direction. And so we've got to walk cautiously. We know the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. We know that the enemy's attack with the arrows are shooting at us from every direction. He will pinpoint his attack at you so differently than he does me. So we have to be cautious. We have to be alert and be careful. Verses 15 through 17, Paul will share why it's important to walk cautiously. It is a mark of wisdom and avoiding foolishness in verse number 15. It is because our life is short and the days are evil, verse number 16. And then God has a plan for your life. If you don't believe that God has a plan for your life, you're sadly mistaken. You are here today ordained by God to be collectively in this body of believers, in this group. For a majority of you, you you can go back to a specific time in your life where you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternity. You remember exact time in your life, maybe not where you were or that very moment, time on the clock and the location you were at, but you remember that there was a time in your life where you confessed your sin, you took ownership of that sin, you said, I have fallen short of God's glory and I know and realize, I admit that I'm a sinner and you took the next step and said, I believe that Jesus died on that old rugged cross to pay for my sins and that shedding of blood washes away my sins and you put your belief in him. And so with the mouth you confessed, with the heart you believed, and you called on the name of the Lord, and you were saved. Many of you could give that story and testimony. And so today, you are here together because we have worshipped, and we have been very purposeful in our time together today, but God also has something that you need in your life. Don't let it go over. Don't in and out. Don't walk out the doors and think that was for somebody else because the power of God's word, apart from any speaker that speaks the words, the power of God's word does not return void. And so it will pierce your heart if you allow it. It will open your eyes and open your ears to the truth that God has for you if you allow it. So change happens. But then also here today, there may be some 
that have come and they think that this is just some kind of religious ritual or religious experience. To talk about a personal relationship is kind of a little bit out of your comfort zone or maybe even a little bit out of your understanding. The last thing you came for today was yet another relationship to add into your life because you have so many that you're trying to balance. But this personal relationship in Jesus Christ transforms and changes you. It's not a wand that we shake over your head and all of a sudden prosperity comes into your life. But what it is is the word of truth that comes into your heart and changes your whole perspective and gives you an overwhelming peace that can only come from God. And so the promises have been given. The free gift of salvation is offered. And today is your choice for the taking. We pray every Sunday before our services that God would draw men to himself thanking the Son, Jesus Christ, for the finished work on the cross and praying so desperately for the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work within our hearts. And so today, don't walk away thinking that it's all foolishness or that these moments will pass. As Christians, 1 John chapter 2, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected or fully accomplished. Hereby know we that we are in him, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Walking in these steps, walking in the steps of Jesus. Jesus would talk to his Father, God himself. He would live in obedience to his Father's will, and he would hang out with the hurting people. He spent time with them. So today, don't walk foolishly, walk with wisdom. Walk with love, walk as a true representation of Jesus Christ, and walk cautiously, walk in these steps. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the price he paid for our sins on the cross, and the life which you call us to live. May we give sacrificially with a servant's heart that says, take me, use me. Put me into the game. Help us to look forward to the footsteps, the footprints that have been left behind and help us to walk in these steps. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus, would you give us the clear way of communicating truth in these moments so that their life can be changed. But all across this room, your children, we come to a time of reflection and a time of application. And so work in their heart as well. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want us to take a moment. Christians all across this room, it's time for application. It's taking the word of God, not being just a hearer, but become a doer. It's taking what God has clearly communicated to you through his message and saying, how does that apply to me personally? What are the areas I need to work on? Do I need to walk in love, avoiding the hatred and the indifference? Do I need to walk as a true representation of Jesus Christ, a living testimony of who he is and what he's done for me? Do I need to walk cautiously, eliminating distractions in my life that keep me away from the things of God? Things that are not bad in themselves, but things that certainly have distracted me from Bible reading, uh, an intimate prayer life, choosing that which is right over things which are wrong. So Christian, I want to give you that opportunity right now there in your seat, would you respond and talk to God in the quietness of this room for just a moment?